0: This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, it's another October hodgepodge. Some might call it fogpog. Wait a minute, I forgot my
1: introduction.
0: We are now recording and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and as always, this is... Abe, hello! How are you, Aaron? I'm doing well. Actually, it's the uh, it's the Newport Beach Film Festival this week. What? Uh, yeah. And uh, my, my lovely girlfriend, the uh, lovely Anna Bosch, she's, she's had a few shorts programs. She's a shorts programmer for the festival. So I was mm-hmm. with her yesterday during her programs. She did a great job and I was happy to, you know, watch a, a lot of short films and everything. It was a good time. Anything uh, that you're like, oh, this, one, this one's going to make it Um, okay. to the Academy Awards. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. exactly. Okay. Uh, let's see. Like, there's a she, she had one that was like one was like made by like like teen filmmakers, so it's like kind of like you know budding filmmakers essentially, mm-hmm. or like themed around teenagers. Uh, the other one though is like this Femme Factors shorts program, so it's like all focused around like themes involving like you know like women leads and women mm-hmm. and, and mainly women directors. Um, there's one called uh like Waiting, um, that was uh quite good. It's a it, and um, oh, what's the other one? There's a Spanish one um that the name of it is escape but it was it was done all in one shot and it's uh it's it was well conceived and well thought okay yeah well it actually was talking more about it it was an interesting situation because the the that that short came without the subtitles actually which was a mistake Um, oh okay and but that like just the the projection is they couldn't like fix it in time and so Mm -hmm. we ended up just starting it again and watching without the subtitles but like because of like it speaks to like how good cinema can be, where because of the nature of that particular story, yeah, and the fact that it's like one shot, it you see a lot in just the acting and the way the camera is positioning certain things, where you just you get you get a great grasp of like what's it's like kind of a thriller, to sure, an extent. Sure. So you yeah. get a great grasp of like what's happening without having to you know if you don't speak Spanish without actually like comprehend you know with, even with the lack of further context, it still is an effective short. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds so, yeah. good. Those are always great. I mean, you know, you, we'll talk about one later uh, in this episode as well. But um, it's at first I was also just like, remember how in, in um, Black Panther Part 2, mm-hmm. uh, kind of forever, uh, where they're just like, no, Thank we're not going to use the subtitles, full, full use title. Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> but like, no, there's no subtitles when you speak Spanish. Like, you should, you're not really going to get all of it, but you should probably get most of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: 36 is the name of the Spanish short that I'm referring to. 36? Exactly. Mm, (laughs) How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you for asking. Uh, The weather has cooled down substantially from uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, And we are now in uh, foggy, fogtober, I guess.
0: Fogtober.
1: Yeah, so we've got some uh, overcast skies during during the daytime-ish. And then uh, in the evenings, it kind of maybe sometimes rolls back in. But so far so good. Uh, everything's uh, pretty nice out
0: here. Would you say everything's coming up Millhouse?
1: Almost, but you know, no, no single father sleeping in a in a bed shaped like a car.
0: I, I point that out because there's actually a documentary at the film festival called "From Jailhouse to Millhouse" about the what? actress that portrays the voice of Millhouse in her life. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> they changed the voice. No it's, it just, it, no, it's just it's just about the person, about the person. Oh, who tells the okay. Police, you know, yeah, your yeah, right. life. Uh, anyway. Well, there you go. Um. Uh, Out now is a film podcaster. It <laughs> hey, would I discuss new movies weekly. <laughs> we uh we also, however, we like to have also have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is uh this is another hodgepodge episode. So sure uh, is. Without, there's one giant release that happened and we may or may not have something to say about that a little later on the episode, but because there wasn't like a main uh theatrical release this week, you know, main feature that released this week, uh, we figured we'd catch up on a few things and talk about some stuff we haven't got into yet. Um And, you know, have some, 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 some other kind of fun on this week's, yeah. uh, this week's episode. Uh But before we get to whatever that might entail, uh some show notes. <laughs> First up, it is October or Fogtober as some call it. And uh, but that is, of course, the time of year when we do all of our special bonus horror-themed episodes. And we've gotten two done so far that have been released. One was on, we've gotten international this year, just to remind you, uh, mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, the first episode focused on South Korean horror. Uh, last week's episode focused on Australian horror. And this week we have Japanese horror coming up. Um, so it's, uh, it, these are these are all very fun to record and to get into and everything. So uh, stay tuned, because these, uh, these are cool episodes to put together every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find all those episodes and all the episodes of our show on iTunes, where you can also give us a review and rating, which would be great. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah. and uh, I think that's it. Well, I, I'll just mention, by the way, a commentary track, of course. Every month we do a commentary. Uh, but so at the end of the month, on Halloween day, to be exact, when it will be released, we will have a commentary up for The Exorcist, the original William Friedkin uh, film. Not to be confused with the film that we all uh, uh, very much did not enjoy last week. That we talked about on the podcast. <laughs> that one has a colon in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just as cold a believer. Um, yeah. So, moving on. Um, I guess well, the idea we well, we have a number of times we're going to kind of go over, mm-hmm. and so and I think I have like more. So I guess I'll start yeah. <laughs> we've we've got some rolling. shared ones that we've seen, but then uh, yeah,
1: start off with the uh, the ones that we haven't. Okay. Well,
0: here, I have a, I have a question for you first. Sure. This, is, this is less about a movie we've seen, but did you see the trailer for the Iron Claw? I did. Um, I'm curious. Did, you, are we talking what, about the Iron Claw? Well, I want to talk about it a little bit, but I have a question in relation to it. But okay. I, I'm curious without without delving in anywhere. If you do know this answer, I you did like, not delve in anywhere. Okay, so do you do you are you aware of this wrestling? It's like a, it's a it's directed by Sh- uh, Sean Durkin, I believe, who did um it's the director of Marcy Marcy, Marcy 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 May Marlene, a film mm-hmm. that I really like.
1: Which is that 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 was that the single take
0: elizabeth uh, Olsen. no that's like this that's the silent house Silent Uh, but that was elizabeth olsen's breakout film martha martha marlene um and it stars zach efron jeremy allen white uh, harris dickinson uh among others holt mccallany is like the father Mm -hmm. it's like about this wrestling family it's a true story and i'm curious do you know anything about this family i did not know anything about this family
1: so when the trailer dropped uh there was a lot of uh, twitter buzz about how it's like oh people are gonna be
0: surprised and then watch this movie, and I was like, "I'm not going to ruin that surprise for myself." That's cause... and so so that's what my question is because I don't know anything about this family either. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm curious, what is a spoiler when we're talking about biopics, and like when is it okay to talk about? I, gu- I guess if you read the Wikipedia, and you're just like,
1: "Oh, how tragic," or "How great for them," mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the trailer
0: is is hinting at it quite a bit as well, uh, just with. See, I, did, I didn't even watch the whole trailer because I'm like, oh, I, I, I realize this is a true story. I got uh-huh. the gist of it. Zach Efron and Jeremy Allen White put on a whole lot of muscles I didn't know existed, and they're other wrestlers. And <laughs> and then I was like, all right, I think I got the idea. I'm going to stop yeah, watching yeah. the trailer. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, yeah,
1: that's good that you stopped it because I was surprised by uh, maybe I'm not that I'm surprised, but I think that there was uh, there is a reveal in the movie, a plot reveal in the movie or in the trailer. I was like, okay, well, there's there's probably more substantial things beyond that too, um. So I'm very curious about uh where this movie goes and what happens in it, because seems like it's um seems like it's a story that that those who know about it are very, I I guess passionate about it, and, and those sure. who don't know about it, I'm that which would be including me and I guess you, um. I hope that it's something that that just really um uh, is incredible. I guess.
0: So, like, when would you deem it okay to talk? Here's why I like I why I asked this question because like, there's there's certain artists where we like obviously know things. It just seems like that's like the the cultural understanding is very clear. Like, I don't know Elvis, for example. It feels like there's not a lot you could spoil with Elvis when that movie came out last year. Like, we kind of so, know... I mean, you you could have surprised me with the uh, with his manager, uh, yeah, like, like Tom Hanks stuff, st- stuff about the Colonel, like. <laughs> I, I I imagine, like, sure, not everyone's necessarily, like, aware of, like, sure, what that yeah. relationship was. But in terms of, like, the general arc of Elvis, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, he's known for, like, famously dying in a bathroom. Like, that seems like a very, like, a, a clear thing where uh-huh. other things in other biopics that, that are, you know, more obscure or what have you. Yeah. less no, but they're certainly like out like it's not like it's a secret to like understand these things,
1: yeah. I, I guess that some that have made it into mainstream culture you're just pretty aware of. um and i I'm trying to think of something that that I mean, I guess you know, Tupac has been making the rounds recently because apparently they found the shooter uh, of of him, uh, his killer. And remember when you and I talked about you know uh, what's what was the name of the of his movie? Was it Hail Mary?
0: Of which one? Of
1: the Tupac, the Tupac um uh biopic movie. No, he's not Hail Mary. Um let's see. I forgot oh. what it was called. But in any case, you're just like, oh, I know this story because we've been here. All eyes on me. All eyes on me, thank you. Yeah, it was like it was like one of his titles of his songs. Um, and we've been here, so it's not surprising uh when you're watching it and you know, when they're going backwards through time and kind of giving you his childhood. Growing up, you're you're not really vibing with it because it's just not really done well. Um, and I, I don't think that that like if, if there was a surprise in here, I would just be surprised if they just I don't know like uh, went positive surprise I guess. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah I I I think to your question, this goes back to something you talked about a couple weeks ago too. Where remember how we we're talking about um sort of like documentaries that happen very quickly after the fact. Uh, yeah. And you are talking about dumb money. Oh yeah. Dumb money. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just like, but it, we just lived through it like not too long ago. So I don't mm-hmm. know what the appeal would be for this. Um, and that's different from, I guess the iron claw where it's like, well, this story takes place. Like uh, at this point, I guess like uh, 60, 60, 70 years ago. Um, And I, I don't know what happened in this story. So, it does add a level of intrigue and curiosity. I'm trying to think of like a, a movie or a documentary that I've seen, or maybe we have both seen, where we just didn't know anything about it and we were pretty floored by it. And I can't, nothing comes to mind immediately.
0: I mean, like something like, for example, the like when Free Solo came out, and I had seen Free Solo, okay. I didn't know Alex like I didn't know that story. Same. like Would I have assumed that did he make the climb or not? Like I could certainly make an assumption, but I didn't. I I remember when I was talking with you about it on this show, I got a bit apprehensive at the fact that you were saying what actually happened at the end, because it's <laughs> fairly, I understand <laughs> that it's, I guess, well known perhaps, but in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I didn't know this story. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily want to like detail exactly what happened necessarily. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but I also cannot...
1: considering that, that, you know, um, I think I, I think it would have asked like, does he make it? I think my, I might've asked that facetiously, but also at the same time, uh, I don't know. Maybe it was like archival footage that that we were watching, you know, at that point,
0: um because maybe he didn't make it for and sure like, and it's, I be, slipped, I mean, yeah, like there's I imagine different approaches or what and like none of that took away from like what I think the movie accomplished as far right, right. as just making like I mean that that was i I had noted that was my favorite thriller of that year because like just the the shots they were getting were intense mm-hmm. regardless of like what the outcome was. So it was like. So I guess that's like where my question is. Like that's why I'm asking this question because I I find it curious to be like here's a true event that I guess plenty of people know about with this wrestling family. I have no idea what I'm going into. Sure. I assume based on the fact that it's directed by Sean Durkin and that it's an A24 drama, it's probably not going to be the best of scenarios for all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I There's don't been know happy where. A24 movies. Not, not everything can be I uh I don't know. Um the what's the Aquafina one? <laughs> Which is uh, about the uh, Aquafina one. The the farewell. Not everything can oh, be oh, farewell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not everything that's... can be Marcel the show shoes on. <laughs> I told people to go watch more of that. But I guess we'll see. I, I'll, I'll be yeah. curious what we, we come up with. Like, it looks good. Like, I'm looking forward to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it looks competently made. And yeah, like, aesthetically,
1: it looks very good. We're actually touching on something that I'm going to talk about later in one of the, the features that I've talked about or that I will have seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, that was the Iron Claw, I guess. For the for well, for the sake of it, yes, the Iron Claw arrives in theaters. Let me look this in really quick Dece- December. So I assume it'd be like a platform release. So some mm-hmm. during the holiday season is when the Iron oh. Claw is coming. So probably January when general audiences will be able to see this movie. Ooh. Um, early January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I will bring up another thing now. Sure. Um, it's a movie I watched. Um, uh, called Monsters of California. Okay. Do you know what this is? I do not know what this is. This is the directorial debut of one Tom DeLonge of Link 182 uh, Known for being both a member of Link 182 and obsessed with UFOs. Uh Oh, this is true. And uh, he made a movie about, guess what? His obsession with UFOs and Mm sci-fi stuff. Um, And uh, it's about these three kids. I say three kids. It's three, like, older teenagers, basically. (laughs) Skater, stoner, types. Uh, one of them in particular, he lost his father recently and uh, bringing trauma into this. He's obsessed with kind of like discovering like they had they like they go around to like different places. They kind of they try to like film supernatural stuff to see if they mm-hmm. can prove that there's like stuff out there because he's he's very much devoted to the idea that there's less not much of a higher power, more of just further life out in the world. Um, and it turns out uh, he's right. <laughs> he discovers <laughs> he and his friends discover something, and they kind of it becomes a sort kind of Goonies type, like an Amblin type adventure for them. As they, hmm. but mixed with like the fact that they're older teenagers, so they like swear a lot. Um, they have a lot of like stoner. So it's status. kind of like lighthearted. It's lighthearted, but it has okay. like some stakes involved. Um, and um, yeah. But all of this to be said, this movie's kind of good. Like. Better than I expected it would be. Oh, okay. I was like, "Where's the kinda part?" <laughs> like, it, you know when I when I see a movie that says from from Blinkwood eighty two's Tom DeLonge, the guy mm-hmm. that's obsessed with UFOs, I'm like, "Well, what's this gonna be?" <laughs> like, it's you know, it's less <laughs> it's less about me like automatically not thinking it'll be good, and just more of like, I don't know what this is, what what to co- what comes from this. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I watched. It's it like, you know what? He's got a good eye. Like, it's well shot. It it seems to be very much evoking um the kind of those like 80s amblin films as far as it's kind of look for it like wow. it's not it's not nearly as accomplished as like you know some of those movies sure but it's but like it seems like DeLong like did his homework as far as like how to make a movie like this it did looks he write like, this as well i believe he co-wrote this okay not wow i mean again impressive yeah um but yeah like i i like the like the 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 trio of actors that play the the, the teenagers like they're fun Richard mm-hmm. Kind is in this having a good time. Richard as Kind? A, as a kind of a, a as a like. Bing a Bong? Yes, Bing Bong himself. Um, uh, Starship Troopers, Casper Van Dien plays a military as a general. Um, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is also amusing. I'm glad he's getting work, yeah. Um, but no, like, it's it's nothing like amazing, but at the same sure. time, I was like, well, I, I enjoyed my time with this. It's a little okay. too long. Like, it's almost, it's like an hour and 45 minutes without credit. So I'm like, ah, eh, this probably could have been like a tight 90. But like, it's I still. See. okay. But, like, for what it is, i I enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice uh, Where did you catch this? It's a. it's currently like in select theaters, and it's on like VOD and digital. So you can okay, get it yeah. anywhere. I got a screener, but you can get in. you can get it. You yeah, can yeah. watch it anywhere basically at this point okay. to, if you, does it feature you know. music from blink one Eight two It's a the trailer did. So I was curious okay. if the movie would. It does not. Well, I mean, I'm sure that they would have written
1: it in the trailer. It' like featuring music from blink One Eight two with like a, a smash cut to um.
0: To the band uh, in in uh wigs and mustaches. If I had to, if I had to guess, I mean I, I imagine the actual movie DeLong probably wants to kind of you know make it clear like this is a movie that I'm making as yeah, opposed exactly. to, like being you know it's an Not a blink put... project. Exactly. Yeah. Um but no, I I, I thought it was a uh, uh enjoyable. Okay. Wow. Tom DeLong, Boxcar Racer. It... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um let's hey let's take a break from us talking about stuff <laughs> of course and <laughs> we're gonna bring it again like now. 35 minutes now we're gonna we're gonna bring in a guest here we are joining us right now from we live entertainment back from a cruel summer i knew he was trouble it's peter paris <laughs> hey
2: everybody peter
0: peter how
2: are you doing i'm good i'm uh i'm you know it's spooky october so i've been uh <laughs> yeah, i've been watching i've been trying to watch a lot of uh scary movies or television shows like Chucky. uh, I'm on second season of Chucky.
0: Fantastic. Uh, The the third season's going hard right now. So yeah. Good, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, Yeah. yeah, I really like Chucky. Like, so um, I'm watching that. I tried to watch American Horror Story Delicate, but eh, I don't know. I've been
0: off the Horror Story train for a while now (laughs) at this point.
2: Yeah, it was because they had Carrick and I was like, all right, I'm curious. And then she wasn't even in in the pilot's. She's in like the last two seconds of the second episode, and I was hmm. like, eh, I don't know about this. Um, but I'm tonight. I think I'm going to finally watch. I hope I'm saying this right. A uh, skinamarink. Yeah. Oh. Oh.
0: Yeah. You should. You should uh, bring Abe over. She no. No. No, no.
1: I don't.
2: I don't want to go to haunted houses. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing people say that it's the kind of movie that it's all vibes, and they respect it more than like it. Like they were Like they respect. I guess. Like you know, it's low budget. It's a concept but they didn't necessarily find it that terrifying or anything.
0: It, um, you, I mean, terror, maybe the horror aspect is subjective as far as what scares you. But right. I mean, it is a really well-reviewed movie. Like it's, you know, people, people who like the film. Like
3: oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: I, I would um, say, I think Marcus and I, who were Marcus Robinson joined us on the podcast when we talked about it back in like January, I think. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. I think we, we're in that kind of group as far as I think we respect it more than we like it, but it, it hasn't stopped us from, at least me, from uh, sending creepy images related to skinner ring to him and Abe all, all year long. Phones, so. yeah, <laughs> but you'll see. I'll be excited yeah, yeah, to hear yeah, what yeah. you think about the movie. I'm curious what you think about it too.
2: Yeah, 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 totally.
0: But uh, right now, the reason we've we've brought you on, well, the reason Abe was like, I need to have Peter on this podcast, and I was like, fine. Uh, <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> is that the beyond, beyond the, the horror that's going on throughout Spooky October slash Spooky Season slash Fogtober is, of course, the fact that uh, the giant theatrical release that came out this week was, in fact, Taylor Swift colon The Eras Tour, um, a concert film uh, that's, you know, obviously over very popular concerts going around that, that had a theatrical version mm-hmm. uh, that's like, what, like two hours and 45 minutes? Uh, Swifted into theaters this week and uh made a whopping 97 million dollars Wow! here even more about this i didn't realize this till just recently it's distributed by amc and cinemark so it's basically like the theaters got all the money Mm, okay so so in the in the scheme of things that's good for theaters yeah (laughs) it it is is
2: yeah they cut out a studio and just was like what if we did this and uh they did it it Um, is really weird to to see a major movie and there's no there's no studio logo like there's I, just I a, there's mm-hmm. just a, um, a you know lights and fo- photosensitivity warning. Like, like the last time I can, it.
0: the last time I can remember that is like when paranormal activity movies were first coming out and they didn't have the Paramount logo at the beginning. Like oh, was, true, yeah, they oh, yeah just yeah, like yeah. present it like yeah, here's the footage of that, right. that, horrible thing that happened that somehow got a distribution date and people are still confused as to whether it's real or not.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> In paranormal or is it Blair Witch? Did they did they both not have cre- end credits? paranormal just,
0: i think the
1: par- first paranormal par- did not have any. the credits, first one right?
0: doesn't for sure i can't
2: remember.
1: yeah it just says the-
0: like in memory of the- oh, right the it screen. does like a brief like yeah. like a, just a blob of words on screen exactly to, like maybe yeah. like give some credit like in case you really in case you really want to you know not feel like you're duped <laughs> i guess but, <laughs> but and and which i don't remember at this point
1: yeah but, um, uh, what, what is I would think like? that they they don't have it either where they're just like oh the footage
0: was found by the police in West Virginia or whatever yeah, something like that. regardless so you saw that you saw this
2: concert movie
0: did you go did you go the, the first night it was out
2: yeah i mean a re- they actually opened up thursday night shows at the last minute but i had mm-hmm. already gotten my friday ticket for 6 p.m so at the alamo uh, it is ironic that it's amc but i guess amc must also have licensed it to other theaters cuz i saw it at the alamo so, um, what, what, was the Alamo, what was the Alamo
0: experience like, cause like AMC and like theaters around the world where, you know, they're not like the Alamo, which is more adult geared, I would say in general, AMC theaters are like, take selfies, bring your friends. And it's, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of younger folk that are doing this and running. Around. Like I was, I was telling him, I was at the film festival yesterday. But, like, in addition to those films, the the Swift movie was playing also. And there's, like, Mm -hmm. kids all over the place, all doing stuff. What's the Alamo experience like?
2: Alamo experience, I didn't see any kids. I didn't see anyone taking selfies. However, Alamo always does their, you know, this is a quiet zone. Right. This was not. They had a whole animation. This is now a rowdy zone. Oh. And they were like, clap, cheer, stand up, dance but don't text don't bother other like so there's still like you can still get ejected for texting but in general you can treat it like a concert experience but it's i was eating their texting. pepperoni
0: pizza and like you're like standing in front of them, like gyrating your fucking body and taking
2: selfies
3: <laughs> actually was I- wondering
1: it's like oh man like i'm trying to experience this movie or this concert movie in my seat but all these people are dancing around me it's like i don't know i mean i, th- I think you should just get up and dance
2: too and I actually did get the uh, pepperoni pizza. There you go. Look um, at you. <laughs> it was, it was like, it was pretty cool. Like, obviously you can't, re- I mean, uh, so I went to the actual concert and I mm-hmm. had front row of the, um, of the runway. If you think of the stage, if you think of these, way these arena shows are done, there's the actual main stage and then they have this like runway. So I was in the very front of the runway. So a few times Taylor was like super close to me and I got some amazing uh, photos. Um, and it was so like being in a 70,000, 70,000 people in attendance, uh, arena, like the SoFi stadium, mm-hmm. like it, it's just, uh, you know, the, the sound is deafening, you know, of, of the crowds and everything, which is great. Um, but I will say that like watching the movie, like it was pretty interesting to like how at the end of every song, everyone basically clapped and cheered, like it was a live concert. Like and I mean, like pretty much every I don't think there was a song that they didn't clap. Like oh, um, good energy then. Yeah, was, yeah, really good energy. And uh you talk to a few people before the movie. Oh, also it was fun, and this is something that I think Alamo always does, which is good, is um Alamo t- tries to tailor their uh no to there. Uh their <laughs> um what you're seeing before it beyond like movie trailers to they try to theme it so if it's like a slasher movie you might like see a halloween trailer or something so what they did was uh they did a lot of the capital one tra- uh they did the capital one commercials taylor swift's done they had clips of hers in movies like Val- like uh, valentine's day the evil one where she's in like law and order you know ridiculous like so that was mm-hmm. actually pretty fun i was like oh that's actually a pretty good idea like all these goofy taylor swift like things and appearances um But the movie looked great. I mean, it's funny. I just saw Stop Making Sense for my first time, the new 4K restoration. And I thought it was every bit as good, if not better, than I had always heard the movie was as like one of the best, if not the best concert films. And I was curious to see what a stadium show was going to be like, because I was like, well, that's going to be a lot of spectacle and stuff, you know, obviously. Um, And it is, but it's very well shot. Like... The textures of the outfits, the the way they use like the smoke, and then like these big clamshell looking people come in. Like it, it, really was pretty. Like, um, you know, it was just such a spectacle. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just felt so big. But you know, the heart of it is her, and so then you have these like great close ups of her just like talking. Um, and I loved it. I loved the show when I saw it, and I thought this was a pretty terrific. You know, the only thing I, I will say is, I mean, I guess your mileage may vary with concert films, because if you're not into the Beatles or One Direction or whatever, then how much will you enjoy it? You know, mm-hmm. like, I I can't imagine anybody who doesn't love Taylor Swift or pop music in general wouldn't love this. Um, but it's like, if you don't like Taylor Swift's music, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think. I can't imagine anybody would say it's a bad movie. They would just b- maybe be like, well, it's not really for me. Mm-hmm. However... The Rotten Tomatoes score is it still a hundred today? It a hundred yesterday.
0: Yes, but I mean, like, I, and that this isn't to be like to to frown at anything, but it's more of there were no critic screenings for it. So anyone that's voluntarily going to see a three-hour Taylor Swift concert movie, someone that probably has an interest to some degree in Taylor Swift to begin with, so I can't imagine them being like, it didn't deliver. I, if it's if it's at least satisfying just to, to, to any degree, which true,
2: true. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, but you know what always throws me off about that? Because it got an A-plus cinema score. Of course it is. <laughs> like- is fair, but but no, but you know what's weird to me is that I agree about what you're saying, but but if that's true, then why does Exorcist Believer get like a C-minus? Because in theory, the people are seeing Exorcist Believer are people who want to see scary movies. So they are, same thing, they are inclined to like this thing. And yet a lot of times horror movies a, a b is a good score for a horror movie and i'm like well really technically if it's the crowd it's made for shouldn't it be higher have you you've, have you seen it i was like have, yeah, oh yeah i, oh, I saw it. Exorcist. no i've seen it and it's not,
0: no, I'm not i'm not asking that as a jest I, I, I i'm saying that because when it comes to horror it's it's, it's it's when you have films that have downer endings or just aren't satisfying yeah the cinema score just automatically goes lower and i'd argue I don't think it's just critics that didn't like Exorcist: Call Believer. I think it's audiences, given that it didn't do very all that well, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know continuing in Like, what did it make this weekend? Let's see. It made eleven. It went a down fifty-eight percent. F- of... Not terrible. Not terrible. Know, not a terrible drop for a horror movie. But I do think like it is that downer ending aspect, and even this movie, like, it, was, like it's not the, it's not the saddest ending possible. It's not a, it's not the mist as far as like a gut punch. But it's like you know, it's not giving you. It's not a super happy ending either, but it, I, I can see why a, and if, I would I, I don't think it's particularly scary. And I imagine audiences probably picked up on that as well, even that it's got a low cinema score. But I think those are those are just aspects of why the cinema score could probably be low for a movie like that where I think so.
2: yeah i mean the- like
0: because the, the inclination <laughs> yes is if you're going to a horror movie you're going to enjoy a horror movie like saw x for example has i think like a b or a b minor something good for a cinema score for a saw movie mm-hmm. and i argue it's because it's delivering exactly what they want they're getting <laughs> the traps and stuff and it's giving you a a satisfying conclusion to that particular story but i had the-
2: heard see it's right. funny i had heard that i have not seen saw x yet maybe i'll see it today but like i had heard it was so good that I'm mm. surprised Saw fans didn't give it a Cinema Score of an A or A minus because it's horror. Like I mean, it's, it's also a, it's like a
0: mixture of other people too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a it's just a barrier. Like I yeah. can't, you know. There's a weird curve you have to associate with so many. Not only just Cinema Score, but the different types of movies that you're looking at. It's Cinema sure. Score. Like, now I'm uh,
2: wondering what's the highest rated Cinema Score, like you know, in the last 20 years for uh for a, for a horror, horror movie. Yeah, I wonder what it is. A
0: plus
1: because
2: well, like. Well, because some of the movies like Hereditary or I can't think of another one, but like the A24 ones, it sometimes asks. they're marketed <laughs> in a certain way. And then the crowd, the mainstream crowd hates it. Like, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I don't like I wonder what Talk to Me got. Maybe a B. Like, I mean. That'd be good. It did?
1: I mean, I don't know. But if it oh. was a B, that'd be good. Uh, B plus, of Payless, actually. B plus.
2: See, that funny. is pretty good. Like that's
1: great. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh peter uh, speaking of taylor swift and the errors tour uh so it got an a plus and it has 100 but um at the end of it how does like are you also watching or during it and i'm curious about the ending but during it are you watching also her being like backstage and like uh doing a costume change and then no back out, or it, it, is it more just no. like the show
2: the closest you get to backstage is the end credits they it's a mixture of you know showing fans with their bracelets, getting in mm-hmm. line, being happy, and then Taylor on stage during dress rehearsals, and then she'll have like a, a, a many wardrobe malfunctions or dance, and they're funny. Yeah. They're like cute. It's yeah. like oh, it's kind of funny, but no, really. But the
1: show not, is basically or the entire yeah, two hours and forty some odd it is it just basically her starts. Yeah, like it what basically, you would see at a concert,
2: right? It basically yeah. starts with a drone over the SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you go down, the show starts with um, the the dancers coming out before her. Then she pops up on stage and then it's 10 eras, sort of. It's really more nine, but she has 10 albums. And so it's, that's why it's called the eras tour. Mm -hmm. So in between what she does is the way it's constructed, instead of just mixing the songs willy nilly, you're only getting the songs of each era for that time. So the first one she does is Lover, which is the tour that she was gonna do in 2019 before the pandemic hit. So Mm. she does a couple songs from Lover, then she goes all the way back to Fearless, and then it kind of goes back and forth from there. And it actually, it's funny, when I saw it live, you're so just kind of overwhelmed with like the songs and stuff, but watching it this way, where you get these big screen cards that say like, Willow or, or Folklore or whatever, it really made me notice like the color scheme and like how the set is dressed. That I'm like, Oh, well, this is very much why we're in this phase mm. now. The other thing that occurred to me was that, and I'm sure all stadium tours are like this is that while I don't think of Taylor Swift as a dancer, the way Lady Gaga or uh, Beyonce are, she is still like dancing a lot for like the big songs, like shake it off or or whatever so i think they also design it so that it's like you have these big moments where it's like huge dancing and then you settle down and now she's just at the piano playing a song because now hmm. she, she can rest so it feels like they really thought this out of like all right you have she's got this much energy for the first 45 minutes then she'll send it because it is the concert is over three hours the movie is like 245 so mm-hmm. they did cut some song they cut some songs out and then they also obviously anytime she has to change you're waiting at the concert a few mm-hmm. minutes, obviously you don't have to wait for that, you know, and then it just basically says, you know, new era. And then, you know, speak now. And then she's up, you know, here, in purple dress or whatever. Sure. Um, I think for a movie, like, honestly, I, I know some people I talked to who went to the concert were like, I can't believe they took out Archer. Archer was never one of my favorite songs. So I was like, Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, I think this is a pretty, I think two hours would have been way too short for the, there's, to do the the 10, 10 album experience. So I think what they settled in on, yeah, it does it didn't feel long to me, but when it ended, I felt like, okay, yeah, that's about right. You, that's where it should end. Like, I don't think ju- just being like, well, you have to have every song that it's in it. I was like, yeah, it might've been, felt, that might've really put the pacing at a certain mm-hmm point So,
0: well I mean it I mean, it, did, it wasn't able to crack 100 million, so clearly audiences felt it there. Like, <laughs> yeah, it they there. I don't know they must have bit. hated it.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. Really right. like
0: real fans.
1: It's
2: so funny like um supposedly AMC will is not going to give the official numbers until Monday cuz we usually get it on sunday morning so we have that other other companies have said it's like 96 to 97 million but Mm -hmm. the official number will be tomorrow and maybe amc is hoping it it actually will be 100 with the sunday i mean i have a ticket to see it today again wow well because i originally couldn't get tickets for friday and you bought you
0: you bought those million dollar tickets right exactly
2: right
0: (laughs) well it's funny because so
2: i originally couldn't get into amc And then AMC had a Sunday, And I was like, all right, Sunday, I'm going to take the afternoon show. And then Alamo sent me a thing saying, tomorrow we're doing Taylor Swift. And so then I got in the queue that day. And that's how I got Friday. I see. Okay. I think I'm definitely going. I don't know if I will sit through the whole two hours and 40 minutes again. But my main thing is, and this is such a unique thing, I really want to see what the crowd's like. I really want to see what the people are like that are going to be at the show and like, You know and so, like that's kind of an interesting.
1: I think that's like, part of the fun. Thing.
2: yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, definitely. Like so, um, yeah, it'll be fun. I just okay. yeah, it's a really I'd be curious to see what you guys all think and stuff. I um, you know, for me growing up, I feel like truth or dare was always kind of the ultimate kind of thing because that is right. Like you said, that is Madonna backstage. and look, she's dating Warren Beatty and look at all this celebrity stuff. and it's all in black and white. And then when she goes on stage, it's all in color. You know, mm-hmm. and then of course, ten years ago, we got Michael Jackson's "This Is It," which is not really a concert film as much as it is just. Because well, it's impossible of... to be a concert. It's film, almost like right? a
1: making of, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's like a making of a concert film, and it's more about seeing Michael Jackson. Which, wait, as a side note, I think I have told Aaron about this, but there's a guy in LA, Christian Hands, is uh, British drummer, ex-British drummer, and uh, he does this thing called the Session. And he will break down a song. It's, it's wonderful. will break down a song by the stem. So it's like, let's, let's listen to the percussion. Let's listen to this. He'll give you stories and anecdotes about the making of the song. Sometimes he has someone who worked on the song there. So yesterday in an art gallery, he did the Jackson 5 ABC. And uh, he had so much to say about the making of the song. And then when you get to just listening to Michael's voice, like some of it, it is so... Uh, one, I, it, I can't believe that kid's 11 years old. And the other he is so much channeling james brown in an amazing way that i somehow didn't notice that before i was like oh my god that's totally james brown like um but yeah so i'm sorry that's a weird tangent but i i do think that that like all of these pop stars you know if you have a connection with their work it's always more than just the music you know it's music it's the it's the for me, I love the banter that Taylor Swift seems to have with her fans, and obviously Michael Jackson. It's just his his incredible dancing. You know, like there's just I don't know. It's it's pretty. It's so weird because I'm also a person who loves like Phoebe Bridgers and more like just kind of folksy sure. singer songwriter stuff, which is so pared down uh, and everything. But like, yeah, when when a, when an arena spectacle thing goes well it's just pretty remarkable yeah i'm, I'm definitely going to see the beyonce one in december I, so i am not as big of a beyonce fan as i am a taylor swift fan um but i do like the new album and yes i've heard it's a great show so i'm very curious to see what now i wonder wait, is yeah, and there's the a beyonce- there's a tech
0: there's a technical proficiency to like what she does with her concerts that i've heard about so often as well yeah as- i'm He's- also very curious around that
1: too because i think that uh i I'm very curious around the the way that she's going to film it or choose to film it.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, too.
1: Yeah, because right. did you see the Netflix one that she put out like during the pandemic?
0: No, but I choose a couple of Netflix ones. Yeah, at this point.
1: Yeah, but yeah, they're they're pretty good. So I was like, oh, there's like a lot of interesting things here. Peter, my last question to you for the errors tour, when you actually went to the concert itself, like you physically there in SoFi, was the stadium full or is it like half the stadium?
2: No, it's it was, it was, it was full.
0: Yeah. Holy shit! <laughs>
2: That's a lot of money. Have, you, have I mean, you heard?
1: Have you
0: heard the money that they're making? I, know, like,
1: yes. I know that she was doing stadium tours because she did one up here over at Levi's. But I was like, I don't know if they should doing. Is she selling out the whole stadium? Or mean, is well, they,
0: what, they what it is, is babe, it? This you know? concert movie just made ninety seven million dollars. Yeah. You know? yeah, I think they're selling out stadiums.
2: For there, the stadium. there is always the thing with anytime you have a concert in a football field. Mm-hmm. There's always the seats literally behind the stage. Those right. I don't think get sold um however i did hear that around close to the back of the stage they did sell those tickets and the reason was because people could still see the big screen and then they could actually see taylor get on and off the stage so even though they're not really seeing the stage live they bought the ticket because they could actually see her like yeah
1: your ticket better be marked as obstructed and at a cheaper price too correct oh yeah it was actually
0: actually more expensive it's more expensive because you get Um, to your backstage
2: but like no, 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 yeah. The, the crazy thing wasn't, the crazy thing wasn't that she sell, sold out the SoFi Stadium. The crazy thing is that she did it for six days. That's insane. Like, wow. I know people, some, someone the other day was like, oh, I don't know why people aren't talking about, you know, Metallica, Metallica s- sold out. I'm like, yeah, one day, dude. Like, I mean, that's not six. Olivia Rodrigo, whose new album, That Thing Slaps, she's gonna be playing at the the Forum, which is way smaller for three mm-hmm. days. So as big as Olivia Rigo is, and she's pretty big, even she can't, like, do, I think normally, like Alicia Keys, I think it was one night, like, to do six nights, like, that's, in, and to sell them all out is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, just crazy. Wow.
1: Well, Peter, thank you for being our special correspondent for the Taylor Swift colon errors
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. tour. Sounds like it was a good time. I hope that you take photos and videos. When you go to AMC this afternoon.
2: Maybe I will do that. I uh, definitely think, if, you know, you always ask the, you know, see it, w- wait for it, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely think if you're a fan and you some, and you didn't get to go to the show, you know, whatever, you, absolutely, you should see this. Like,
3: yeah.
2: like, I mean, yeah. Someone, my my aunt or whatever asked me, oh, how much were these tickets? And I was like, oh, no, they're just movie tickets. They're not like, you know, $20 or whatever. They're normal price. Although she's in Wisconsin. So if I said that, she'd probably be like $20. I think it's
1: pronounced Wisconsin.
2: Wisconsin, yeah. She'd probably think you're but, anyways, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh yeah, I loved it. Dug it. Just to, uh, great.
0: Just to throw this in there. Boo a media a media Halloween has an A cinema score.
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: This one got me though. Halloween Resurrection, you know, the worst Halloween movie? B. Really? That is surprising.
2: That is surprising.
1: I guess they were just like, he's back.
2: What was Halloween 2018 cinema score? Also B plus. Huh. Well, that is—I mean, that's pretty good. But I mean, like uh, that makes was,
0: more sense to me
2: than yeah. Halloween resurrection. Yeah.
1: Maybe uh, they're just like—we're excited to see Jamie Lee Curtis, and we got to see Jamie Lee Curtis. Who I knows?
2: Suppose. two seconds, but yeah.
0: I mean. In the in the intro, yeah. Well,
2: again, Peter, thank you, thank Peter. you for joining us,
0: I'm talking about this thing for a second here with us.
2: Yeah, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you guys soon.
0: All right. All
1: right. Enjoy this. Enjoy the second
0: act.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I will. Thanks. <laughs> Bye.
0: Oh to have peter on yeah that was pop expert peter paris <laughs> uh, you can find him reviewing uh on uh, we live entertainment and he's at pajama on twitter that's right um all right let's get back to all this stuff we were doing let's do it i it's a great segue into one of the movies that
1: i watched this past week um it was the documentary kelsey so this is a, a documentary about jason kelsey the brother of Travis Kelsey. Uh, who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, and obviously the Kelsey brothers are making a big wave right now because Travis is maybe dating uh, Taylor Swift. But I it, it's very fascinating, it's just great that it's
0: just great that Travis Kelsey's finally done something to make himself
1: popular, exactly. Yeah, besides being like you know one of the best tight ends in, in the NFL, uh, <laughs> ever. Um, but um, I I I find this to be fascinating, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the iron claw because I don't I know that this is called the documentary, but it's kind of more of like a memory <laughs> than a documentary. Like we're just living through the previous year as it led through to Super Bowl uh, to the Super Bowl where where the brothers played each other. Um, and it's it's hard for me to kind of call these things documentaries because there's a lot of them that are happening right now, uh, whether they're on Netflix or this one's on Amazon Prime directly on uh you can find it there. But I, I find them to be very like they're just so close in in proximity to what is happening now. And they don't really land on anything, like necessarily. They're not really digging into uh anything too too hard. Um but the thing about Kelsey, this documentary on Prime, is that it's very compelling because the brothers are very interesting like they're very it's not that they're putting on a showbody type of performance it's just that they're very uh, honest uh, when they're on screen so it's actually comes off as oh this is, is I do want to follow Jason Kelsey's career cuz the the large question it's asking is is he going to retire after um, 12 13 years in the NFL um and obviously he didn't because he's playing right now he's playing today today sunday um but it's uh it, it goes into different places, too, because it's talking about um, your career injuries, but it also talking about family, which it, it intermixes some stuff that you've probably seen on Instagram or Twitter or even TikTok uh, about his wife asking about movie tickets. Or I'm sorry, movie tickets about Super Bowl tickets for their, you know, uh, two year old daughter and if, if she actually wants to go. But it also talks about some really cool things that I think they kind of missed the mark on, which is um the city of philadelphia and like it's love for this person jason kelsey but also it's it's like ravenous nature of wanting to win sports events uh, because it has such a rich history of all their sports including fictional characters like rocky balboa um and it it just it also what
0: what you're talking Uh about there that that sounds interesting to me like yeah and they have bits of it in the movie and i was like or in this in this documentary like that sounds like its own series that could be interesting to me. Like different cities that are known for being rowdy when it comes to their, you know, their interest in sports. Whether it's this or Boston or L.A. or Oakland, like the, the, those, that seems that seems like that'd be an interesting like subject for documentary. Like getting into like fan culture regarding sports and what have you. Yeah, but even like beyond that too, because that is actually a really cool uh, part
1: of it. It's like just the city itself, like Philadelphia, as like this. You know, rough and tumble city mm-hmm. uh, that has like different parts of it. Obviously, just like every city, you know, there's like wealthy parts and not so wealthy parts. But it's just that oh, the unifying factor is like this sports team that that did this amazing thing of going like 13 and one or 15 and one, and then losing the Super Bowl to like his brother, a uh, ball people, right? But it, the thing that I kind of dislike about these types of sports drama documentaries right now. Is that they're very, they're being created by, uh, Aaron, you, you've seen Hard Knocks on HBO or you're aware of Hard Knocks? Yeah. Yeah, it, you've seen that. But now a lot of teams are turning that that down, that documentary down, which is more focused on the preseason and a little mm-hmm. bit of the back office stuff. Mm-hmm. But a lot of teams are turning it down because they're producing their own just on YouTube. So you can find things like from this the uh, Cincinnati Bagels or the San Francisco 49ers. Or even the L.A.
0: Chargers, right? By doing that, I assume it takes away some of the spontaneity or any kind of other side opinions that could be going on.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's about controlling the narrative Mm -hmm. if we're in succession, right? And this is very much so why they don't want to do hard knocks is because they don't want cameras in there from HBO that have, you know, like team meetings or... That are more revealing than they may want when
0: they could do something on their own that would just basically show how great they are all the time. I
1: mean, and sometimes it's like not great. Sometimes they're like, well, yeah, we do have to like, you know, have a hard conversation with this team or whatever. But yeah, it's it's generally more positive. Mm -hmm. But this is also the same thing that happened with like... um, I think you were talking about it with the Arnold documentary on Netflix, which is a three-part series. But at least that one was... uh, It's been a while since Arnold um, kind of has had this like nineties movies presence, but like what you mentioned, it's not, or at least I don't know if you mentioned this, but it it wasn't produced by Arnold or, or his team. Well,
0: I think with, I think with Arnold, the Arnold doc was that like the, 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 the front and back of it, which go into like his youth and whatnot in Austria. mm -hmm. And then his later times, like fall following his, uh, his, his governor, uh, you know, um, term, Mm -hmm. um, like that stuff was interesting because it, it, for one thing, it was true. It was honest. It also, it, it, especially the latter portion, it delved into like his affairs and things. Yeah. It didn't shy away from that. The 90s stuff, my issue was the fact that, you know, we know film and we know, you know, Arnold is someone that, you know, we grew up with, we know a lot about, and it felt like it did a lot of shortcuts around stuff that I think would have been more interesting. I see. Yeah. Uh, because we already inherently know so much about ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's a that's a that's um, I think the same message can be taken for this, which is we I know a lot about Jason Kelsey's uh-huh. year that he had that led up to the Super Bowl. And I also know a lot about the uh, the team's year that led up to the Super Bowl because it was a great story, you know, and also we the Francisco 49ers played them in the NFC Championship and lost because Brock Purdy hurt his uh, his throwing elbow. um, And what so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's like we would have won the Super Bowl if he had not. But uh, yeah, it's it is good because I like Jason Kelsey's honesty and his his, he and his brother very much share a lot of um, positive energy. Uh, And so uh, there are times where they both get a little bit weepy on the screen and and it feels very genuine. Are they the Um, new Eli and Peyton? Yeah, uh, I think that actually might be even cooler than Eli and Peyton. But well, well, cooler than Eli is not a hard thing to accomplish. But okay, (laughs) go on. But I think the thing that kind of takes away from it is that you have some of these narratives and and storylines that aren't really fully sought through, even though it's it's an interesting thing. Like they even talk about the CTE stuff, and Mm. then bring up old. uh, He he, Jason Kelsey has like one scene where he's playing poker with some of his old teammates or old uh, people that used to play for the Eagles, and they talk about how much they miss the grind of the NFL, but they're also just like, you know, they, they appreciate that their body is like still intact kind of thing. It's like, well, you're touching on really interesting things. I just wish that it was either a multi part series or something that you did like, you know, 10, 15 years later, um, that would have had a much more, I guess, 2020 view on it, versus not the year, but you know, mm-hmm. like a um a much more like understanding and, and thoughtful and maybe like even deeper searching meaning to it. But yeah, overall like I would tell people to go check it out because I think the two brothers are pretty interesting. Um but it's just that, you know, you're not going to find anything that that's all that that new about it, um including even some of the the football stuff that you, the football footage that you'll see, you've seen it everywhere else. I think that it becomes so normalized now that the the score that is done for this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's actually really creative cuz it kind of plays with like 1950s, 1960s, 70s style style NFL tunes but they the composer kind of just created it for this specific uh, documentary that's kind of cool and that's kind of fun because it has, a, has like you know trumpets and drums or and like um like a, a drum kit kind of sound mm-hmm. but it's just it it doesn't really like it doesn't really leave you feeling like oh well now I know either more about something 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 it's more just like yeah this guy's actually pretty cool but you know I, not really telling me a whole lot so. Um, you know, I think from a critical standpoint, it's, it's not a very deep or interesting look at anything beyond um a brothership, uh, like a brother, not even like brotherhood, because they're, they're actual brothers, but it's like, just the two brothers is like a really fascinating look, but it kind of like falls away after that. And I think the director trying to do too much. So it's unfortunate. So kind of mixed, it seems. Very mixed, yeah. I'm I'm mixed positive on it because okay. I think you should still go check it out. But I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear what other people would, would think about it. And I'm sure that Mark Pace's friend of the show probably is like give this five stars because uh he's a he's an Eagles
0: fan. Okay. Well he we, you know, he A G L E S Eagles. Um All right, cool. thanks for filling me because I didn't I certainly didn't know about this documentary. Um but no, good to good to hear. Uh I have a couple things I want to talk about next because there's somewhat connected. They're both uh, courtroom dramas. Oh, okay. Uh, the first is Anatomy of a Fall, which opened a whopping five theaters this weekend, but it's the uh, the film that won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It also won one of the best awards possible in any film um, award ceremony, the Palm Dog Award, which is where a dog is awarded a, a Palme um, <laughs> Award. It's happened since um, 2001. The Artist famously won the Palm. Dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the year it came out for Ugly, Of course, uh, many films have won the Palm Dog. Um, this is neither here nor there. I just like mentioning the Palm Dog Award. Uh, but the <laughs> film itself, uh, I believe Alex Billington brought it up uh, last week, whenever the hell he was on, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is a, it's a, it's largely a courtroom drama. It's a, uh, it's set, it's set in France, but it's a, a mix of German and French and English. Um, and it it concerns a, a, a woman uh who's a writer who is arrested for her husband's death uh although he has died under mysterious circumstances we do not see what has happened we mm-hmm. see the outcome we get a bit of an intro as far as as the as the as the uh, uh, the wife is concerned she's played by Sandra Buller but like we we do not see, like, whatever... If there was a crime, we don't know. If it was an accident, we don't know. We don't see what happened. We just see the fact that this husband has died. Um, they have a son together who is blind, and the film eventually turns into... Majority of the film turns into a courtroom drama where we go over the various sides of the story, hear the witnesses, all that. It's a courtroom drama. um mm-hmm. it's This movie's very, very good. I really oh. like this movie uh, a lot. It's not hard to see why it won the Palme d'Or. It's not hard to see why it has such great reviews. Um, it's a very well done uh courtroom drama. i I, in saying that, while the court process is interesting, because that generally is, that's why this is still a genre that's popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what it does really well is allow you to hear characters hear about their arguments and like what they're talking about, and then hear them actually have said arguments and watch the film show you what humanity looks like as far as what you can take away from what you're told about somebody versus what you take away from actually hearing things in the process and how things can get misconstrued or taken out of context or any number of things that show different sides of what truth actually is i think all that's very fascinating i think the film does a really good job portraying that where obviously you're concerned with the mystery at hand and what the outcome might be or what have you but the film is about a lot more than just the case that's being presented, right? Um. So yeah, it's a very good movie. Um. I hope more people get to see it. Anatomy of will Fall. Um. It's a, it's in some theaters now. It'll you know, ideally spread a little bit wider. Eventually, be on VOD. Uh, very fascinating. I, yeah. It's it's really good.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and again, I like the way that you, uh, or at least the the documentary and you reporting on it, basically saying like you know, there's you can get two different feelings from it. You know, from the way that they're describing these characters, and that's the way that uh. Like a documentary can be. Um, it's a movie. It's a movie. So, oh, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. not based off of real things.
0: It's not based on a true story. Okay. Uh, yeah. So,
1: but yeah, I I guess it's just the way that you can create um a sense of uh of um uh,
0: not divisiveness, but like a dichotomy in characters. So for sure, right? Yeah. And that ties into this next one. This is the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. This is the, oh! this is the final film from director William Friedkin. Yeah. Um, it is a TV movie. Uh, it, it premiered on Showtime and Paramount Plus. And I say that very deliberately because while it is a TV movie, William Friedkin is such a good director where it's not about defying what that means, but it's more of when I first started watching this, which is also a courtroom, which is a court-martial, it's very much presented plainly like a TV film. Like it like it doesn't have much artistry behind it. It just feels like it's pretty straightforward in what it's doing. Mm-hmm. But as the film goes on, the film's like 100 minutes um it very very deliberately takes on more and more cinematic aesthetics and qualities it goes from like flat one shots and two shots to having more dramatic close-ups having more tilted camera angles to emphasize certain points it's done that it's done very subtly but it it's very much present Something I was, you know, as you get more and more invested in what the case is and what the arguments are and what these characters are going through, the film also evolves to kind of become more dramatic in its presentation. And I thought that was fucking cool, (laughs) like to see her, to see William Friedkin, like just still killing it, like with with what he has to work with here. The film stars Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Clark, uh, Lance Reddick, and I believe, maybe his final role, Mm -hmm. um, among others, uh, uh, Jake Lacey. Uh, Lewis Lewis Pullman, who I don't think has ever looked more like his father than he does in this movie. <laughs> um Jay Duplas, who I always know as having a beard and he's clean shaven here. It's weird. Oh yeah. That was um, weird. <laughs> it's, is uh... he doing mumblecore stuff? <laughs> Not quite. I was like, I don't think so. Uh, but the film is based on a famous story, the Kane Mutiny. Um, but it's only focused like it's like it was it was a book, and then it was like turned to like a two-act play. Okay. And this this strips it down even further, where it's only about the courtroom. Aspect of it, which is just like one side of the story, and it, it focuses entirely on a case where uh, Kiefer Sutherland plays like a lieutenant commander of a of a, of a uh, of a large naval ship, mm-hmm. um and apparently, like it went through a hurricane, and during this time, he they pulled a Crimson Tide. He was he was a uh, Jake Lacey's character. He he uh, basically took over. He took over command. He relieved <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland's character of his duty. Um, And we find out reasons as to why this took place. Jason Clark plays the defense attorney representing Lacey uh, where uh, where Sutherland's character is like being taken to task Mm -hmm. uh, or easily at least a key witness since he was, you know, the the captain it the the way we kind of see this evolve and like what we're who we think we're supposed to support most uh, and what have you like it. It does a really good job presenting that, and I already said reasons as to how effective it is in the filmmaking aspect of it, but these performances like, are rock-solid great, specifically Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Clarke. Um, Kiefer, this came out of nowhere for me as far as what he's doing, because he's playing very vulnerable, um, despite being this kind of assured commander-type figure. Um, he has to basically defend himself even though he's not the one on trial. And it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting to watch Keeper Sutherland off people who, you know, nowadays I think we think of like Jack Bauer. And even before that, we think of like Stand By Me or The Lost Boys, Lost he's playing, Boys yeah he's playing intimidating figures or whatnot. Here he's right. playing someone that's not grandfatherly, but certainly like more, you know, he's older than the other actors around him, which I don't sure. think we we gen, you know, we don't generally see him in that light, I don't think. Um, and then Jason Clark is the defense attorney like one upping his Oppenheimer performance, which I already thought was really good, but he's a prosecutor. He's like essentially a prosecutor there here. He's on the defense side and he's just yeah. really great here as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, this is a very solid drama. I, I okay. really, I really like this. I think it's really well-written. Friedkin adapted the, uh, the original work. Yeah. Um, and it's and by the way lance reddick also is great in this movie he has some of the best reaction shots i've seen this year (laughs) i mean he's like the head judge there's like it's like like, because the court martial so there's like multiple multiple figures like judging you know what's going on he's like Uh the head judge of this and he gets a lot of times just like have the camera cut over to him to be like giving any number of facial reactions
1: office style (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not going. He's like, I don't believe this for a minute. He's not raising his hands and <laughs> yeah, going yeah. into the camera. <laughs> he's, but he's, no, I, I think I've seen a still of him just like pointing his finger at somebody or something. He's fully effective here. Like, yeah. freaking getting great performances at everybody here. Um, but it's very much worthwhile. If you have Paramount Plus with Showtime, I would certainly recommend watching it. Okay. I, we often, I think a subject that's often interesting to me is like the final films of directors. Mm-hmm. And often they're not always the best. Um, but some really ha- have really like strong final films. Granted, mm-hmm. I don't think this movie is going to necessarily think, you know, I'm going to, you know, not be alive anymore after I right, make this right. movie. But being that this is now technically his last movie, it's a great send off movie for him. Mm-hmm. for sure.
1: So. Is there another director that you comes to mind immediately? Where you're like, oh, this is a good final film.
0: Tony Scott, Unstoppable fucking rules. <laughs> okay. um, All right. Like that movie's great. Had that one lined up. <laughs> yes, because that's my go to answer. Somebody <laughs> asks that question. <laughs> it's such a good movie, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's okay. A... Yeah, I'm glad to. I'm glad that it was good. All right, you want to get into the next thing? Yeah. Are we getting to like some segments that we've both seen? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk <laughs> about the. Uh, let's talk about Wes Anderson. Okay. Um, I brought this up a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, but I didn't want to get too far into it. But yes, he made. He recently made four short films for Netflix, right. all based on Roald Dahl novels. A roll, 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 doll short stories. To be yes, honest. yeah. Some obscure, some maybe even unpublished. I don't mm. know. Well, they're all published, but yeah, they're That's certainly it. like if you you have to really know Roll Doll's work to like know some of these for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have oh geez, where is it? <laughs> the, the list of these things. We have the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Mm-hmm. We have poison. Mm-hmm. We have the Swan, mm-hmm. and we have the Rat Catcher. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I talked about all these briefly before. I, I mentioned that the, the cast includes Benedict Cumberbatch, Ray Fines, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, Richard Iawade, uh Ray Fines, Who like, like all, most of the actors all have like multiple roles in this thing. Ray Fines yeah. is the only one that's like he's also role doll. Yes, these. that's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, that's it. Like, I really like this movie, so I want to hear from you first. What, what did you, what did you, what did you, what did you take away from these these shorts? And the, yeah, I... Like,
1: like, you want to uh i found this to be very fascinating of a of a task set out for for Wes Anderson um to one find them read them adapt them and then direct them um obviously wes anderson is is very good at his craft now by now i should say um and his work here is still very good like they're all very fascinating all very interesting and it's it's funny to me because i i thought to myself um Roald Dahl wrote all these <laughs> like like I'm sure that some of it is lifted from the Rolldoll Dahl scripts and maybe some of it is 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 a uh, kind of like written. And... What I understand, it's like
0: 90 percent accurate to the text. That's,
1: that's what I would hope, because I was thinking to myself, Roald Dahl wrote something that like is very fitting of a Wes Anderson type script. Like, that's Wes the thing, Anderson. right? It's yeah, it's very like so weird um, because I was thinking to myself, Wes Anderson writes stuff like this all the time. Like if you watch Rushmore, we will have like Max maybe he's talking to the camera for a quick second, breaking the fourth wall or something, um, and then going back immediately into what they're doing in the scene. It's so, like it it's such a wonderful pairing.
0: It Um, it really is like that's, you know, having our you already being a huge fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox, like mm it's like yeah, put more roll and then. Like the whole thing is like Netflix has the Roll Doll library. Like that they own it now. I did not know that. Yeah, they, like the 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 estate, like Netflix bought the rights to roll dolls work. So mm-hmm. if we're gonna see more rolled doll stuff, I, I'm happy Wes Anderson's at least taken some of it so far, but that is the intended plan. If they pursue more roll doll things will be coming through Netflix. Yeah. And I very much agree with you. Like somehow. This is one of the most perfect matches of like writer to writer to director there is because it's right. so their voices seem so in tune with each other. And I, I being one that's read a number of Roald Dahl works, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems so fitting that they're like that the two of the, the these minds have combined in this way.
1: Yeah, and I I was also thinking as I was watching these, I I wondered um like what what Wes Anderson can do with shell silverstein type stuff, but I don't know okay. if that'd be. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'd be curious, but I don't know if that'd be the the a fit necessarily. But as far as the the acting goes, I love that this is uh, just like a really tight core. Uh, that seems like they are just like, well, we'll, we'll plan on to do all four. Even though they're just shorts, and it'll take like the same. Maybe take like three weeks to film all this, maybe even shorter. Um, and what I really dig about it is that everybody, people that I didn't think were gonna be a Wes Anderson. Uh, good at a Wes Anderson type of of beat, and rhythm, and cadence. I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised." And I think more specifically it was Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, because I was thinking to myself, "I I don't know if he would have the like the timing or like the wit." And it's like, "No, he does." And I think that it mostly shines in the two that he's in. Um, but I I really enjoyed
0: uh, the repertoire theater feel of this of oh. just. Mm -hmm. i'll throw this out there i i would argue wes anderson for someone that's so specific in his types of films i don't think there's ever been a miscasting in one of his movies when you look at like the range of actors that he's acquired Mm -hmm. for these i can agree with you as far as your initial thought to some of them might be how's that gonna work like bruce willis for example and yet bruce willis is getting one of his best performances in moonrise kingdom (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's right yeah or like harvey Keitel, who's been in a couple of wes anderson movies at this point like these aren't actors that I necessarily think, oh, yeah, they get whimsy, but <laughs> it's yeah. somehow they, I, 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 every time he, you know, he knows what he's casting, I guess, because it works out really well. Yeah.
1: I could mean, kudos say his casting director and to him for, for going through this. Cause, um, obviously the other person that I haven't really seen a lot of in his movies is Dev Patel, but I, I kind of knew that Dev Patel was kind of quirky already. Um, because he did the imaginary, imaginarium, um, of the, Dr. Uh... Parnassus or something.
0: No, no, he did the, um, the the one the David Copperfield movie yeah
1: uh, yeah sorry um,
0: it, has, it has its own elaborate yeah it. yeah it's off. exactly the but, personal uh, history of David Copperfield
1: thank you yeah but you know he's done whimsical things and he's kind of like a he can be a, you know a pretty good character actor and a lead actor at times too but um, obviously we've seen uh uh what do Jay we call Files? it no 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 we we've seen um Rupert Friend. Uh, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. In a major Wes Anderson movie, so I wasn't surprised by him. Um, but yeah, Ray Fiennes is—he's fantastic. I thought that he should have been nominated for Grand Budapest for sure, uh, and perhaps even won. I'd have to look back at who did, but um, he wasn't even nominated.
0: Won. It was—it was a shame.
1: Yeah, that was and a, and and a sham. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, we should have—we should have got—we should have turned in our voting cards then. But, uh, <laughs> but. I think the other thing that I really want to point out before we dive into them maybe individually is I love the way that Wes Anderson does like on-screen production. Um, you know, we've seen this in um, the 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 French Dispatch where you see just people kind of moving in and out of screen, kind of setting things up. And this is no different. I mean, it, it is so... Uh, like some people not, might not like it. I can understand why they might not because they're like... Why are we seeing like these extras kind of moving things in and out? It's like, I don't know. It just, I'm very impressed by it because I think it actually takes a lot of coordination, a lot of camera work, a lot of, you know, uh, creativity in the way that you're going to show this transition of literally just like a stage uh, and then making it look like it's um, it's a, it's a different place. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool things here. I think the last thing, uh, in terms of a criticism, not not a good or bad, it's more like a a good thing, um, is that what Netflix is doing here with this and how Wes Anderson has approached it, I find very fascinating, because I think that this could have been something that you could probably, a major movie director like Wes Anderson taking on a project like this is probably just for him to, kind of like seek enjoyment of his work, um, and kind of make like these weird quirky stories. But I think that this is a medium and a format which Netflix and these other streaming services maybe had an original intention of doing, of just like, well, let's get some directors because we've got the money for this. Let's get some directors that want to do things that they want to do, and we'll just produce it and we'll also just showcase it and and we'll be able to we'll be able to drive traffic to our sites, websites there. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think that it was. Um, you know, like th- these movies or these, these short films aren't long enough for a feature length movie, but they are still like creative enough and also complex enough for a major movie director to take them on. So it, it's really like fascinating, essentially like a, a perfect blending of what these streaming services could have been or um, maybe even like should have been. So, yeah, I,
0: I, I mean, mean, the fact that we're getting them thoughts. is proven that they are accomplishing the thing that they're capable of.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. But, you know, like we've talked about some of the errors of the films oh, that we've sure. seen straight to Netflix, where it's like, I don't know what this is, but, you know, this isn't very good. Um, and I think that this is like a great compliment to Netflix and also a great compliment to Wes Anderson, who probably could have done these and put them all like as tags in his movies, kind of the way that the... um. What was the movie with um, Bill Murray, like trying to catch a train? Der- Darjeeling Limited. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the 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 twelfth most important character in that film, Bill Murray. <laughs> yes, yes. Sure. but the Darjeeling Limited, where it opens up with with like basically a short with Natalie Portman and uh, Jason Schwartzman, um, kind of like doing their their thing um, before the movie kicks off. So it could have just been played like that, but I'm very fascinated as to you know uh, Wes Anderson taking these on.
0: Yeah, no, you, what you're speaking to makes plenty of sense to me. Like, the, the, there's, from my perspective, there's no other way to have accomplished this in this day and age without having something like a Netflix that could sure. provide these, provide a space for these, because there's no, these days theaters aren't going to play a short, you know, it's a 17 minute short film right. at the least before they add something else on there. Right. They, 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 there's no time for that. They got to make money. They got to, yeah. they can't, they can't just lop something on because of, you know, the thrill of doing it where Netflix, there's no rule here. You know, they can put on a short film on their streaming service because they feel like it. And because it's, it, it's a win for them to attract major talent as they've done over and over again with what comes to auteur tour directors. Um, That's a win like, you know, that's that is, quote unquote, content for them that they will um, get something out of whether, you know, it may not be the highest in far as things streamed, but it'll certainly be, you know, a claim to prestige credits, which is something they're certainly actively seeking for all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, yes, in that regard that's certainly a benefit to have something like this or who or any number of streaming services that can provide a space for filmmakers to just do a thing as they want to yeah um and it helps when they're you know good and <laughs> they're worthwhile yeah. um to just to add as far as some thoughts on the sure. on the shorts here um i you know i agree with like everything you've said as far as you know what what they're aiming at what they're doing what they're accomplishing and the fact that there's good actors just nailing these parts uh, what I really like that I've thought about in the past few weeks, having watched these, this feels like such a great response to the kind of AI Wes Anderson simulation stuff that's been going around. Um, You mean like the, what we
1: talked about like with the Netflix or
0: I'm sorry, with the Instagram reels and stuff like that. Yeah. That stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think all that's terrible. Yeah. and, And nothing like Wes Anderson, because it just feels, it feels like worse than posing to know Wes Anderson where it's like, yeah okay there's images of people that have been in his films and i guess there's autumn colors and that's the end of the argument there's no dialogue there's no music there's no nothing so like watching these not only is it pure anderson but it's also like this guy's still going like he still has stuff to show you like it's not as though understanding his style means there's nothing left for him to offer that feels new or refreshing and I feel like I've seen that. I saw that in French Dispatch. I see that in uh, Asteroid City, and now I'm seeing it here, where it's like, guy's got tricks he's still like dealing with and figuring mm-hmm. out and pulling off on screen. Watching something like the, you know, the Rat Catcher, which mm-hmm. has like a two minute horror segment that feels stripped out of an Italian horror film. Yeah, that was, that was like probably my favorite segment to me. Anyways. It's 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 so like. <laughs> i i haven't seen this from wes anderson before this is yeah. fantastic and just re- really inspiring to watch a filmmaker that that still like has tricks up his sleeve even though people seem like there's a segment that I seem to like presume that he's shown us all he's gotten it's just like yeah more quirky wes anderson it's like d- like i haven't <laughs> looking at all, all these different shorts it's like this is he's he's still pulling off all kinds of great stuff here. He's he's yeah. experimenting with his own style. He's evolving. He's referencing other things. There's like so much work at play, uh, and but just because I don't know, there's a certain color palette he enjoys. Like I guess people feel like he they figured him out, and it's like no, this this is good stuff here. This is a great way to see, especially something like this, which could you know he has the chance to be more experimental because there's no thing to, you know, there's no box office to appeal to or no you know, award or what have you to be going forward. Just yeah. More, and like, I don't know if uh, he's ever really been like confined by those either. I, I wouldn't say so either, but like in terms of what a studio is asking, there's, sure. you know, no, no notes are being, no notes, <laughs> no notes are being given to the wonderful world of Henry sugar to be like, can you be more of this? Like this is purely because like he's attracted to this material and he has a place where he can actually do something with it.
1: Yeah, I would yeah. agree. And I think that there is a, uh, a... Not to, not to dig back into our conversation from like, you know, a while ago when we talked about it and we kinda of like uh ranted and raved about it. Um but yeah, there the Wes Anderson has a lot of intentionality to his actions on screen. Um and there's like a lot of attitude that he's giving to it. So it's very different from the way that you're seeing the these reels or these TikToks where they they are taking songs and they're taking like what you said, a color palette and mixing it in to just give you a sense of Wes Anderson ish, but again, he's doing things that are like very layered, like multi-layered, and it's it's very fun to watch. And I don't know if we uh, could necessarily hit it on the head, but I think
0: we'd be better at it than maybe some some others. Um, I mean, it's just a matter of taking the time to actually consider what you're saying as opposed to being like, this, right? Here's a picture. Yeah. And then, that, that's the end of the conversation. It's like, that's not it. <laughs> that's the... Yeah um can we talk about some of these individually no yes we can okay. let's uh, do right. that well moving on <laughs> then
1: um i i really enjoyed the wonderful story of henry sugar i think it's the first one released um and i at first i didn't like it but then i found its heart later in the the latter half of the of the um the short and i i really dug uh, sort of like the the whimsical nature of roll all for writing such like a weird, but also deeply meditative sort of a short story. And then moving it into more of like a, this is how the world gets better type of story. um, And I really dug that. So uh, it kind of brought like a little smile and a little bit of warmth through my heart
0: uh, toward the end there. But what do you think of Henry sugar? I, I really like Henry sugar. I like, I, I just really like Cumberbatch in this role. I think he's, dealing with and yeah i agree with you as far not as far as like i was enjoying it but like obviously watching this first one you're getting used to whatever the style is of this thing where it's you know this very it's very like stage theatrical and yet i don't think there's another way to do this than making it into a movie like the way it's balancing a different you know a number of different things to kind of present what it is with the narration and what have you Mm -hmm. like it you know, it comes off a certain way at first and then you kinda like you kind of get into the groove of what Wes Anderson's doing with this stuff. And so yeah, no, I, I think the the way it's telling the way the story unfolds, you know, over its forty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. I, I I appreciated it. I, I I thought like it's it's very funny, <laughs> which is also <laughs> something to keep in mind. Like it has that sense of humor, you know, there to go with. Um but it, you know, it has a a standard sense of melancholy as well. So like no uh, hey. I, I think it has all the right like Combination of things to give you like what seems like a bite-sized Anderson film, but still like in a way that's unique into itself as far as how it's presented. And then I learned there's three more of these.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, And And
0: and you you mentioned the fact that it's. You know, it there's a feeling you get at the end that's you know fairly warm, and then I you know the Swan was the other one that was up immediately. Yeah, that was well one after it. Yeah, and that film is devastating <laughs> by comparison. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, but I also I really like this one. I go as far as to say I think it's my favorite one. Um, but uh, yeah. any reason why it's your favorite? Something about Rupert Friend I think is really working for me. Sure. Um, yeah, I He's doing a lot of voices. He is, and a lot of voices, and that. Given the story, which is about bullies, among other things, to an extent. Like yeah. it's not about relating to it or even like wanting it to go a certain way. It's just more of the evolution of where the story starts versus where it ends up. I it took me off it caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think something about the way Friend is narrating this story and yeah, like you said, doing the voices or what have you, there's something that felt very, I don't know, intimate about it that just mm-hmm. it felt like it pulled me in a lot more than I you know, just turning it on randomly, not knowing what to expect. I think it got it. It brought me in more than I was expecting it to. So by the end of it, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, so I just that that won me over quite easily. As far as why I appreciated as much as I did, yeah. That
1: closing line to to uh, the Swan mm-hmm. devastating from um, the mother, uh, but I I enjoyed that one as well, and I thought that it was. You know, you talked about like bite-sized chunks. I was like, well, th- this one's even more bite-sized. Like the the yeah, remaining, yeah, the other three are seventeen minutes. Yeah, yeah, but they they're so full as well. Yes, they are, yeah. and I find that to be very fascinating. So, um, I, yeah, nothing nothing more to add for this one. But um, in terms of the next one, the rat catcher, mm-hmm. I dug this one a lot. Oh, I did too. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just because of how weird it is. Um, obviously, Roll Doll is no stranger to writing you know maybe uh animals that have that have manifested into humans (laughs) but i really dug this one because it kind of gives a little bit more of um refines of a a chance to play uh yeah yes (laughs) it's just so it it, the way that it's constructed and the way that it is um like what you mentioned there like there's like a there's like a sequence where it's just a close-up and Dutch angles of faces um but I was kind of enthralled by the way that they are using uh, props when there are no props. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Very yeah.
0: much so. Yeah. That's it. So a...
1: I was expecting like something to actually come out because it's a movie production or at least like a, you know, a short film production. Um, and I, was does, like, oh. yeah, I mean, to be fair, it does throw
0: in a little stop motion animation. Though, it man. does. Yeah. yeah, Which is fun.
1: <laughs> but when, when I'm, when I'm watching like uh, Ray Fines talk about a ferret and a rat. Um, and mm-hmm. then putting him into his clothes but then also later when he's like he's pulling one out or when he pulls them out I was like, this is so like theater and stage uh, production ish mm-hmm. but I dig that everybody is buying into it and that's something that uh, West Anderson always gets a lot out of his actors if you've ever read um the you know uh stories about uh, we call it uh the the Royal Bombs. You're just like, yeah, well, it seems like it was a chore to work with Gene Hackman, but he got a lot out of it. Uh, so and it's just that he's able to to impress upon you a small little vignette of a story that feels very full. And I just love the way that they played together. Um including the way that Richard Iote was just like he walked without sound and I was like, I can see that. So it it's really fun.
0: Iowa um, is doing some like secret weapon stuff here in the background a lot of these movies too, where he just yeah. pulls off a few lines or whatnot that just hit you. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, this guy has fun. Um, but yeah, Ray Ray finds as like a human rat person, <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a delight, just a delightful. Delight yeah, say. and then when Rupert Friend puts in his teeth too,
1: it's like uh-huh. this is really
0: fun. Like yeah. it's weird but fun. So. The last one is uh, Poison mm-hmm. by, uh, Belle "A Poison" by Biv Devo. It's a new jack swing <laughs> song. It's from the you kind know, of like eighties, nineties R and B hip hop. Uh, it was produced by Doctor Freeze. Um, but <laughs> but um, really, the, uh, the film. Uh, what if was it of a movie about the, the story of Poison? That'd be song. hilarious. <laughs> we should produce that. But yeah, this one, this one is set presumably in India. Like I don't, it doesn't really like, spell it out, but it's like is probably British occupied India. Um, and you have what? What's it, uh, Harry? Harry Pope. Once again? Yeah, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. He, the, uh, he's found in bed, covered in sweat, and for some reason acting very strangely. Dev Patel comes in, examines the situation as to why, and it appears that a crate snake has crawled onto his chest, mm-hmm. and the film becomes about the process of how to get this man out of this situation so he doesn't, you know, get killed by a very poisonous snake. I feel like talking about the plot of this one makes sense because it it's it has a it's a thriller essentially for yeah. a Wes Anderson movie. Um but the way it without getting into where it goes, the way it the the way it like finds its conclusion, I you know again, not knowing these stories offhand, I found surprising and not heart like heartfelt's the wrong word because it's not a that's yeah, not it's the kind of storytelling. But right. it but it has a it has an interesting conclusion as far as the way certain types of people relate to each other. Right. Um, that I you know I wouldn't have guessed that this is where this was going at the beginning. Same. Of this yeah. Point. And and that gave it you know an extra bit of oomph. I guess is the best way I can put mm-hmm. it. As far as what we're getting what we're getting out of the story ultimately compared to where it begins, and I quite like this. Um, as far as watching these actors play into different degrees of where their characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, and i I think the the work done between Coverbatch and Patel is quite good. And then the other elements that get added onto it, just like you just give it an extra extra layer uh, yeah. that I, I found quite a cinematic or rewarding, I guess, yeah. I quite like this one too.
1: I think that there was like a little a, a high level of tension in this that which I, which I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. um. And I guess tension and suspense because we know what the situation is. So we don't want anything to happen to poor old Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, and what I really like about this one the most, perhaps out of all of them, is it stagecraft? Because I like the way that the camera is set up. Like Initially when Def Patel kind of enters the place and you kind of see, you know, a door, but then he kind of comes in and I really dug that Uh, he pulls up his shoes but it's clear that he just wasn't wearing shoes anyway. And he just gave like a pair away. Um, But I really like one sequence where he goes out to go get the doctor played by um, uh, Ben Kingsley and he stays outside. So he's like in blue light. And then you can see Ben Kingsley walk through the, the home into the room and he's still talking to the camera. And then he just walks in front of the camera to join Ben Kingsley and Cumberbatch and in their room. I was like, this is really fun stuff. Like this is really like quirky and clever. And again, like a visual stylization that I think really is befitting
0: of a Roald Dahl novel. Right. For yeah. sure. Cause like it, like you might like, there's a stagecraft element here in all of these, but mm-hmm. yes. when you watch them, it's like, well, sure. There's a version of these you can see on a stage, no doubt. At the same time, though, because of, like, what choices he's making, it absolutely becomes a cinematic effort in yes. all of these films, yeah. including this one.
1: Yeah, totally agreed. Yeah, and again, I think, like, in the hands of a of a different director, I think we'd get very normal-looking things or something like that. Like, maybe uh,
0: just something that just doesn't appeal to you. Or voiceover. Yeah. Instead, instead of having the characters just speak the dialogue themselves.
1: Right. Or even, like, maybe showing everything that is being written, because Ro- Wes Anderson doesn't write everything, or he's not showing everything that's being said, necessarily. It kind of just all happens together as well. But um essentially what I was going to say about this one is, I, I like the, I like that after I watched this, it kind of is like a double meaning, uh, the title mm-hmm. of the of the short. Sure. Because I was also bummed out about it uh, at the end of this, because there is a lot of historical impact on, on this particular story. In any case, I, I just dug the way that this story kind of played out um, but I also really dug just a lot of the production of this because there's even the part where De- uh Dev Patel is speaking to the doctor outside when he's gonna leave, and he's uh Ben Kingsley like in a reverse mirror shot, and I was like, this is really fun. Like, it, it, I don't I don't know if it's like actually in camera that they're doing this or they kind of just like superimposed um his face on on a mirror later, but it's just uh again a lot of thought has gone into this um and. I, I should add uh, we should add that all these stories end with like a little footnote about just how Roald Dahl kind of came to these mm-hmm. um short stories
0: and this one was um pretty fascinating actually about his Royal Air Force days. So, I'm seeing now that this poison was actually adapted by for the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show I and mean, it was actually directed by Alfred Hitchcock. This so. actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I, I'll be curious to I know that's you can find that streaming in a lot of places. So I'm going to see okay. if I can check that episode out.
3: Yeah.
1: What was Dad's movies corner on these?
0: Um, he liked them. He okay. he 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 um he enjoyed Benedict Cumberbatch in particular um because he just didn't see that coming yeah but um no yeah he he was a fan when I, I told I, he's like what should I watch I was like watch the Wes Anderson shorts I am mm-hmm. like all right. yeah he enjoyed them yeah. okay well cool um yeah we did it about all the shorts yeah. um before we get to the other main thing we were going to talk about I want to mention another thing sure um Pacific Rim <laughs> um, yes the the re the rewatch. The rewatch yeah. uh, of many, because I've watched the movie many times, but it came out. It, it Well, it, it's it's 10th anniversary happened in like July when it originally yeah. came out. But you know, Del Toro had promised, like, I have something in the works. Um, and so that finally <laughs> kind of came to be unless there's something even more that we don't know about yet. But hmm. uh, this past couple weeks here where there was, there was a few screenings of it and he was in attendance for Q&A's. Right, um, I, did, I, I've met Guillermo too many times. I didn't need to go to q and A, Q&A, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, you did, can like, text him. We get it. But I, but the the videos of these Q and As are certainly online and whatnot. So I was happy to see him talk about this movie. But regardless, yes, they they screened Pacific Rim in a few places in L.A. at least uh, this week, um, and then Guillermo had. Various things to say about the film, which he's very much still a fan of, which I imagine many directors yeah, are fans of their it. films, but he's very proud of it. Like, he loves this movie. He loves the fact that it's, like, a fun movie he was able to make about giant robots and giant monsters. Um, and so, yeah, I was happy to rewatch the movie again. I've seen it a number of times. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't need much of an excuse to put on Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. especially on its fancy 4K where the effects look even better. Like, it's just, like just the what you can see and everything when you take like away that 3D element and what have you. You can just enjoy pure visuals about the darkness that comes with the glasses regardless um but the i've been a fan of the pacific room and you know the 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 notion of giant things battling each other is always appeals to me regardless yeah um the 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 takeaways i had this time around is just how funny it is um huh. i think the main criticism that generally come with pacific room is the fact that like the, the plot is fairly generic and like some of the characters are kind of flat, and I look at it now, and it's like, it's not like Del Toro accidentally riffed on Top Gun. Like, he knows what he's doing. Like, it seems like very very apparent to me that he's, like, making this movie in the mold of a very standard Top Gun-like story or even a sports movie, in terms of underdog characters and random grudges held between others and what have you. Um, And, like, the, the way certain characters just behave just makes me laugh now, and not like at the movie, but more of that's what he was after, and that's what he's getting. When I see Charlie Hunnam's Raleigh, like you know, going no into the camera because his brother died, it's like okay, movie. <laughs> this is like <the, laughs> I, I get what we're doing here. Yeah, and like at the same time, he still like clearly has so much love for the the Macombori character, the Barry right and and Idris Elba's Stacker Pentecost character like those are the characters that are clearly developed to be Who more... Apparently might have been played by Tom Cruise at one point. Oh yeah, Tom when when So, so that when, makes even more sense with what you're saying. When when Del Toro was making he was trying to make In the Mountains of Madness the the Lovecraft story and Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is going to be the star of that but that fell through because it was it would have had to be R-rated it was very expensive and they just couldn't work for the studios. But with that in mind Guillermo Del Toro has been friends of Tom Cruise for a, a bit like he's they've been trying to make a number of things together and yes when they're When he originally conceived Pacific Rim, he wrote two versions, one that had Tom Cruise and one that didn't. But Tom Cruise, yes, would have been in the Idris Elba role, which I'd be very amused by to see Tom Cruise in this kind of role uh, playing, like, you know, essentially what he is in Top Gun Maverick uh, to an extent. So
1: Yeah. Uh, And I'm I'm glad that he was able to obtain as many signatures as he could to re-release in theaters because, yeah, he certainly loves his movies. And I think we even talked about it when we reviewed it a while back. It's just like it, it has a lot of like anime and comic book sensibilities to it as well. For um, sure.
0: So he he's digging deep uh, in his bag. Yeah, it, it's, it reflects the stuff that he grew up on as far as being like, you know, pure spectacle, but with a, a sense of not like, I don't know. Like when well, we watched Creed three and we're like, oh, Michael B. Jordan's just showing his love for anime during these <laughs> fight scenes at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just clearly right out there. Yeah, I wish but it was the, a little bit better, but yeah. <laughs> but the um the thing the thing there too is that's 2013 when this movie comes out. We're an old podcast, and <laughs> we don't know people don't know how good they had it even in 2013 when it comes to just the looks of these things yeah like this movie looks so much better than certain blockbusters we've seen in recent years where the efforts just be- because they're you know like ilm and whatever are so stretched thin between doing all these different projects for disney that they don't have the time to like refine these things and make them look as neat and detailed and just interesting as they do in something like this movie where right you know you can talk about like, oh, it's set at night and there's so much rain, but it's like that gives so much dimension to like how big and fucking weighty these things are, seeing them standing in oceans or running through the water and seeing all that dripping off them and everything, let alone the fact that this movie is super colorful and bright mm-hmm. there's so many like dull looking movies that we get nowadays when it comes to these giant action sequences, And here's a movie where it's like, look at neon Hong Kong as a Jaeger drags a ship through the streets to beat up a kaiju. (laughs) That's glowing. It's like, yeah. (laughs) All right. It's like, how, how do we got, how do we not get more of this? Yeah. I mean, Del Toro is a master of detail. So, and you uh, just, you feel the awe in there and you feel the spectacle where like even the sequel, which, you and I were like, that's fine. I know yeah. Mike Dillon was like, I hate this. Uh <laughs> that's how he is with things <laughs> like this. But my my the biggest issue I had with that movie is that it's uh, it's like cool, okay. The technology is better, so you can set things at daytime and like in bright skies, but it, it removed a lot of the tension of just how big and weighty these things are. Like it, didn't, sure. it 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 just feels like, yeah, there's a giant thing versus another giant thing instead of like the effort it takes to show like a punch landing into a kaiju like there's with the rain falling off with yeah. the rain falling off yeah it's just there's a lot there so like why should watch- go
1: revisit pacific rim I, I was i wasn't the biggest fan of it um when you and alan were
0: talking about it but yeah that, that's why i'm trying to champion it so much i feel like there's <laughs> i feel like i for I, me I, no I, well in general no seriously like it's not like the movie was it got good reviews at the time it made its money. Yeah. like it's not like it's an unknown movie but i do feel like the perception you might have of Pacific Rim might feel different now when you compare it to other spectacle films that do not seem to care nearly as much as far as what it is to show you these giant things on screen that you basically haven't seen presented this way before, where now it feels like a Tuesday when you see, you know, any number of $200 million movies that just don't give a fuck about like what that spectacle means.
1: I, uh, I agree with you. And this kind of goes back to our talk about the creator, but just like, you know, you can make things that look good. Um, Uh, and have uh, uh, a pretty propulsive plot. Sure. Yeah.
3: All right.
0: Let's, Why uh, did you bring this up? Because it was just in theaters, or you want people to go see it? Because it because uh, it's been in the it's been in the ether lately. As good as okay, Torres had screenings, that, like there's it's been true. screenings. He's been giving Q and As about it, and I rewatched it again. Got it. Okay. If I watched it in January, would have brought it, or July, I would have brought it up in July. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, sure. Um. All right. Let's get to our other main thing we want to talk about. No one will save you. Uh, this is the sci-fi alien invasion film that premiered on Hulu a few weeks back at this point, back mm-hmm. in September, um, and we didn't we didn't really get to it because we wanted to save it for a, a show like this where we'd have an opportunity to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, but the film is directed by Brian Duffield, who previously made Spontaneous, that was on uh, was on Prime. Um, the film stars Caitlin Dever, 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 as a, um, a seemingly a, an an isolated woman living in her childhood home. Kind of like a looks seems like a Midwestern town mm-hmm. she's essentially ostracized from the town like no one seems to be very happy about her presence whenever she's around the movie itself the the, the main plot kind of gets in the gear when it's when um aliens come to town aliens invade uh not <laughs> a <laughs> spoiler not a spoiler but yeah. There, yeah there are aliens and she has to deal with how to fend them off in various ways um uh, I suppose since the movie's been out for a bit at this point, we can talk about the central gimmick as well of the film, which is the fact that there's no dialogue in this movie whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is presented in a way where the characters are not mute, mute or anything like that. It's just the they don't under, have a chance to say anything. There's just the, there's a choice made to not have characters actually right. use any dialogue um, with all of that said, Abe, what do you think of uh, No One Will Save You?
1: I thought it was really cool. I thought it was actually uh, like a, a really fascinating story. And at times very beautiful. Um, I was really, I, I, I had stayed away from a lot of the chatter online. Um, about I did too. I was the unaware. No dialogue stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching it, I was like, okay, well, you know, it's, she lives by herself. She's this adult woman that lives by herself. And it's clear that she's got like some weird social anxieties. Because she's practicing waving hello and whatever else. But um, like talk about like a difference between the Wes Anderson movies and this, because I those are heavy in dialogue and in heavy like in like um framing exposition devices. And this one is just like, no, here's like a story where it is just not gonna have anything, and the only real lines that are said are are toward like the third act of this movie. But I this is a great example of of um, allowing like uh, allowing yourself to journey along with these people and really just be invested in this story. I would have been curious to see how this played out in a theater setting. Um, yeah, I think that would have been a fascinating experience. Uh, just because some people might have just been like, "There's no fucking talking," and those people, I probably would have you know been told to to shut the fuck up. But. <laughs> Uh, I would hope that people would have really gone along for the ride of it. Just the way that that Brian Duffield has decided to make this movie. So I, again, like really, really good stuff all around. I, I'm kind of like not even talking about any of the plot elements, but I think there's a like just really good, cool, fun filmmaking all around. The CG can is not all there, but I did really mind that because I think what you do see on, on film certain times, it, it looks more realistic than others. But also, I think the way that he's designed these aliens are kind of cool. Just the way that that there's different variations of them and kind of what happens to them. So, yeah, on the whole, it's it's a really cool movie. I think people should see this.
0: Yeah, uh, Brian Duffield, the the director and and writer, he's been a writer. He's he's only directed two films, but he's been a writer on a number of things, including like these babysitter movies on Netflix, mm-hmm. Love and Monsters, which I think we talked about a little bit at some point. Uh, underwater, mm-hmm. uh, like. He has movies that have a lot of like, you know, not as are like the best, but certainly snappy dialogue seems to be a part of his repertoire. So it's like Hair is a film where he just he's taking all of that out and trying to make something out of it, which I think is an interesting approach. It's a gimmick, but it's a gimmick that's used well. Yeah, I think. And as far as the movie goes, I think Hulu is two for two as far as late summer sci-fi movie releases that don't get theatrical releases which is unfortunate because the, between this and prey i'm like yeah hulu keep giving yeah. me mean? more yeah. whatever this is gonna be like you know you, unique sci-fi adventure films um I i quite enjoyed this it's 93 minutes and i feel like it finds ways to do something interesting within all of those all of that runtime
3: <laughs> hmm, yeah. there
0: are multiple points where it's like i don't know where this goes from here it feels like we're Kind of wrapped up stuff, and it's like, oh no, nope, here we go. Here's some other, uh, here's some other new stuff to present to us. Right. Um, the 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 use of aliens here, like they look neat enough while still being like you know Gray's the kind of sure yeah, alien yeah. look, but I feel standard like look, yeah yeah I feel like there's still like enough effort to play around with what these aliens are capable of. I can maybe question some of the logic with it, but that's you know that's besides the point. I think mm-hmm. that the movies ideas to kind of keep you in the moments as far as uh the brin character's concerned and i think it does a, a good job with that of like giving us an idea of you know what she's going through what these aliens are accomplishing and how to tie it into whatever her backstory is given that right. we seem to have an understanding of her regard in life and now it's like well why and the film i think finds some clever ways to blend the two between the thrills and the kind of the introspection or whatever you want to call it as far as what you learn about her and what the aliens do with that um yeah it's it's well constructed well made i know you and i are famously not the biggest on like a quiet place for example so no it's so weird like, so in the realm- i don't know
1: why people didn't didn't see the flaws that we saw in the first <laughs> so, one so in the realm of like
0: you know monster movies that rely on silence to survive um i feel like this does the better job I don't know. yeah i think
1: it's also more logical too like, again i'm glad that brian duffield i didn't know that he had written uh, 11 monsters and, and a lot of other things mm-hmm. but this movie is fairly logical like the way that she gets to town because her car doesn't start is makes a lot of sense and and uh you know at, at one point i thought that she was just running through town but later she goes back to go get her bike, right? So it's like, oh, okay, cool. So she was on her bike the whole time. Um, I do also want to mention that this uh this reminded me a lot of like Vast of Night kind of gave me those vibes as well. Um pandemic movie that we talked about a couple of years, a few years ago, maybe at this point. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed that there's a lot of show don't tell, like literally, right, in this movie. And you were just talking about this with like the short earlier um at the Newport Beach Film Festival. With like you know when you didn't get the Spanish subtitles, but mm-hmm. you still kind of understood everything that was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a very cool movie-going experience, you know, uh, just being able to to be there. I guess you know in some cases, in some ways, primordially, like with just your feelings, and witnessing things that that you can really empathize with, or sympathize with, or feel scared about, or you know feel nervous about, or feel cautious about, and um or even feel angry and sad about right so it, it's really cool conceit that brian duffield has made here and it really works i didn't even know that it was an hour and 30 some odd minutes i thought it was a little bit longer because at one point i was like i don't know it's a little long um and then you're like it's only an hour 33 minutes or whatever and i was like this is actually really efficient um uh, it's really efficient movie making and Caitlin deaver
0: Really terrific performance. Yeah, this is a great. We should emphasize that too. This is a great performance. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's there's a lot to have to do here as far as, you know, committing physically to all that's going on, committing emotionally to all that's going on, and doing that all without saying anything throughout yeah. the movie. <laughs> like, that's a lot to work with. And even but,
1: when you start saying something, like, something happens. So, yeah. Um, I also think that she is um, uh, pretty funny in this movie. Like, I think there's like some humor in this movie that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, whether it's from the aliens or from Caitlyn, but yeah, I, I, it's a terrific performance. It's also she runs a lot in this movie, and I'm really, I'm really happy that that you know, like it makes logical sense that she's tired at points, right? She's like holding her sides at one point. It's like this makes sense. So yeah, Caitlyn Duvall, good job. She's she's doing great stuff for Hulu. Yeah, <laughs> book smart. This yeah, well, book smart. That's like eight two four. I like this dope, is true, but dope it was, sick. It was a Hulu dope thing. sick. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah but um yeah uh i have a question for you cuz i i saw some people sort of talking about how they would have liked a more linear story um what are your thoughts on that like linear like
0: why is she living by herself why is she so ostracized i mean i i prefer suspense <laughs> there's yeah, no... the and you remove that if you're just like here's all the things we know now there's no character arc <laughs> like there's no yeah, there's exactly. nothing there you're just it's a waiting game um yeah. at that point because you you know more than most of the characters in this film and by the time you get to certain points it's like well i mean we we, something had to come out of this because we already knew what was we're getting into Mm -hmm. so so your friends are your the people you overheard are wrong yeah
3: (laughs) I,
1: i would agree i mean again like i think like it's very intentional for brian to do that when he did it but also i um i i wasn't even thinking that we were gonna get more information or more backstory because it didn't matter at, at a certain point,
0: you know? Um, Fair. maybe would be a bit of a too much of a tease to be like, everyone hates her, why? I think
1: it would be. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I because I think that you kind of get it at a certain point too, because of the the, the letters that she writes. Yeah, you, you can um, piece
0: together some stuff, but yeah, it is Yeah. Helpful to get a, a bit more, especially given how that comes into play for later in the movie. Sure. Yes, I like think the alien
1: visions. Yes. Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, I,
1: I, I'm like, Hey, you know, it's a creative choice and I like when people take these creative choices. So it, it's fine by me as well. Uh, I, speaking of not to get into too much spoiler territory, but what did you think of this ending? I think if you're
0: dealing with, if you're, you're, you're dealing with a situation from the perspective of one person, mm-hmm. I'm happy that the ending is not larger scaled, if you know what I mean, as far as the effect that they have on the rest of the situation, um, which is not too dissimilar for something like 10 Cloverfield Lane, for example, as far as just how far their actions go to affect the rest of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I also appreciated that there's a sense of humor to some extent about where we start versus where we end. Um, yeah. And I would say that, yes, to me, it is satisfying based on what we're presented with. That's yeah, how you could be, be vague.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no,
0: yeah. I, I landed there, too. And
1: again, I was thinking to myself, oh, I hope it's not like signal style. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with where it landed, too, because I think that there is a sense of, well, is it or isn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, like even like the invasion stuff is, is actually kind of interesting. So, OK,
0: OK. Well, it sounds like you both say, go watch this movie on Hulu.
1: I, yeah, I would. And turn up the sound.
0: Yes, turn up the sound.
1: Yeah. I'll always turn up the sound. <laughs> good, good sound design and good sound mixing in this. There color. really is. There, I agree. It's yeah, like left really... and right channels. And then there's
0: also like the way that it starts scurrying around. Like it's pretty good. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I do, by the way, I do like how some of the aliens are more equipped to that's what I'm saying yeah yeah. Bryn yeah than others. Yeah you reminded me of it by saying that because yeah it, there's it, like pre-mantis style ones and there, yeah like, there, there's there's some that she's like can easily kind of pass by or whatever and there's others that are like you can't I'm smarter than this. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah
1: which is fun. Um and uh I, I guess the last thing is um it's really cool just the way that they are using beams of light in this movie. Yes, very uh, much so not just like the traditional way like the posters where it's like taking you upward. Like, there's something that's going on that is not fully explained, but it's pretty cool just the way that they're, they're able to um, use it for for uh, effect in this movie.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked about No One Will Save. We've talked about a lot of things. and talked that's about gonna, a lot of things. Yeah. And that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. You can find more of my work by personalbob.co.zeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write for Blue Entertainment for movie reviews and of Blue for Boo-A-R-E and Criterion Reviews. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4Abe. You can find more of us on Instagram Abe.Mua, and Twitter dot
1: com slash hashtag gif ray finds an oscar and <laughs>
0: by the way yeah. when he spat out the blood I was like what the fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh thanks once again to Peter Paris for joining us thank you on. Peter uh you can find all the other episodes about now there on my iTunes audio Google, Spotify and Stitcher we're all on the easy. internet yeah we're all over the place you can all the socials Facebook Twitter Instagram yeah. um and iTunes reason are really good to get those it helps us out. Next week's show, we're talking Killers of the Flower Moon. Whoa, Scorsese's three hours and a half movie is coming out. Epic, yeah. And we're going to talk all about our next week's show. Uh, Should be what we plan to make an episode three hours and thirty-one minutes just to get one over on Marty. Um, (laughs) But but seriously, uh, that should be that should be a good one to talk about for sure. Uh, But yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Until until next time. So long and goodbye.
3: Do-do, do 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 at home.